Good morning. Hopefully you can hear me okay. Uh, before I start the talk, I just want to say a big thank you to this congregation because the support you've, you've given to your fund over the years has been, has been vast. And I just wanted to thank you for that because you have transformed lives. We have estimated that if, uh, on average, £10 takes somebody on the journey out of poverty. So if you can just imagine yourself over the years and what you've given and supported, the differences you've made. So I want to thank you, not just on behalf of Tear Fund, but on behalf of those people whom you may never meet, uh, the side of heaven, but you have totally and utterly changed their lives. I want to start by reminding you of uh, the Stidious that I spoke about this morning. Many of you will remember Stidia from that film we first released in 2009, and it was called Make Life Flow. And it's probably one of the most memorable films, uh, mainly because it featured a 13-year-old girl, and I don't think people had comprehended just the, the, what that girl had to face on a daily basis. And as I said in the children's uh, input, they, she had to make two journeys a day, carrying one of those tanks. And I think for a lot of people, it made a lot of sense. They could understand how difficult that would be. You just aren't turning a top, and all of a sudden there's water. So... But thankfully, because of support of congregations like yourselves, Stidia's life is completely transformed. Um, and we went to see that, the villages where she was. They now have access to clean water, decent sanitation, and the time wasted for, uh, for getting the water can be put to better use. However, this is just one girl in one village in one country. It's estimated that over 900 million people still do not access clean water. 2.5 billion have, have no access to a decent toilet. And this is a shocking statistic. 5,000 children die every day because of dirty water or poor sanitation. I had the, the privilege, as, as John, um, David said, about being able to take two churches to go to uh, first into Uganda and then Rwanda. And uh, it was really good because we got to see these, the, the actual project that's featured in the village we got to see how the water and sanitation uh, works and how that changes lives. What was really interesting was that those who, are living, who now have water, their lives are completely transformed. It's not just a little bit changed, it's vastly. So this morning I want to reflect on a well-known passage in John's Gospel of the Samaritan woman at the well, the first person whom Jesus openly reveals himself as the Messiah. Also I want to share with you some of the stories that we discovered on that trip. Uh, the lives that have been impacted and the villages completely transformed. Along with that learning, I found along the way from our experience some of the things we, we came across as we went along. And I also want to look at how we can still continue to bring about change and pray together for God to continue blessing this ongoing transformation. Now, most of you may, be, know, 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 may know Tearfund very well. But if you don't, I, I want to just upfront say we, we love God and we want to help those who experience poverty and injustice to get out of that poverty. And our work is delivered mostly through the local church because we know that the church believes in holistic transformation, not just economical or social, spiritual, but also uh, including all those things. And we call that integral mission. And we are committed to helping the voiceless by speaking out and enabling them to, for our advocacy work, to challenge and influence governments on behalf of those living in poverty. And we're committed to responding in disasters, as you probably know from certain appeals. 
But we have this vision statement, and it is a big vision statement. We have a vision statement to see 50 million people released from material and spiritual poverty through 100,000 local churches just like this church here. And that is an awesome uh, vision, and we would like you to be part of that vision. This morning, I want to start by asking you to imagine life without water. So just think for a moment this what it was like this morning when you got up. Well, imagine not being able to have water on a tap. Most of us find it hard to remember even how many times we've interacted with water just this morning. It's easy for us to access water. And in fact, it's so easy that for most of us, it's simply a matter of just literally turning a tap. Very rarely would we have to think about sourcing it or there being a shortage. We heard from our Olympic winners this morning from Korean. They usually think about the sport that they do and how water's a big part of that. So when we went to them and we said to them, like you've seen in the film, would you take on this challenge? Could you carry that can? What do you think about that? They were extremely challenged. You've seen in the film, they couldn't carry it even the distance that the girl carried it on a flat surface. To try and carry that up the Cave Hill or some even bigger, just, they just couldn't do it. And so we find, our, we find ourselves in Uganda, Rwanda, and we've seen what, the, what they say, they've realized, that it's very difficult because it's a volcanic area. So you can't drill for water. And if you live at the very top, you've got to go down to get water or all the way back up again. And I'll just have a slide here that might help you to see that and understand it. Because this, this is also on the trip. And I have to say, I was genuinely shocked at how far people had to go to get water. So think of ours fetching water will take. So to give you an idea, the shoe little arrow should come up here. There, oh, went too far. So that's us at the top of the hill. And that's where that family that we were visiting, who no longer have to do this, by the way, that's where they have to go to get water. And it's quite difficult. So we were told it can take someone possibly four to five hours to get 20 litres of water. That is going down a hill and back up again, with mostly on your head. And if you're in remote areas, perhaps even longer. Usually children leave their homes in the dark and they uh, have you back in time for school. And as you know in study story, this means if they're late for school, they sometimes don't get an education. We heard stories of children being washed away in the dark. And there's cases pending for women who suffered from rape. These young children and women are vulnerable and they have no choice. And the task is so consuming that it takes up so much time. So in Rwanda and Uganda, and particularly where we visited, people value water so much as people living in the desert communities that we read in the Bible. There's a picture of somebody going and sourcing water. Who, who knows how far she's had to go. But the people in Jesus' day understood the value of water just as much. Uh, water was and is an important source of life. And we can read in chapter 4 of John's Gospel of a story that involves some discussion about the importance of water. Jesus leaves Judea, intentionally decides to travel through Samaria on his way back to Galilee. And on his way, resting beside a well in a Samaritan village, just like the women in Uganda and Rwanda, we read that a woman came from the nearby village for water from the well. This was a familiar scene from our trip. It's a job of the women to source water for cooking, cleaning, and drinking. They visit some of the village, we visit some of the village in Kigezi, where our partner's been working. And we got to see what the, what the local community is like. 
development, they've got a thing called a development and water and sanitation training that they provide for everyone who wants to be part of the pro- programme. And they train up local artisans. And they learn how to build tanks, and they learn how to educate about water, and they learn how to use their time better after they do do this. And the community then can harvest enough water for all their personal needs, which also can go on to include watering small crops or providing for some animals, you know, like little cows or goats or hens. And we visited one of these churches in this village in Kigezi. I've been part of the program for a number of years, so this is a success story. This is where, when you supported us, this is what happened. The church is keen to share with us what had changed and the water and sanitation had come from the church to help them to be able to do this. And one of the greatest challenges was the confidence in the women in this group. I mean, in particular, this group was very confident. In many cases, the women were the, are the most interested for the training because obviously they're the ones who have the issues to deal with the most. And also, they're the quickest to grasp it because they want to change from the old ways because it's eating up an awful lot of time. And in some ways... This reminds me of the encounter between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Jesus had broken through the cultural taboos and had spoke to a Samaritan woman in public. And this is what was happening. The church was engaging with women. And now you see some of these ladies waiting in this picture to meet to talk to us. And in particular, we met this lady called Margaret. And I want to introduce you to her. She really impressed upon me. She was in particular, uh, she, she wanted to share her experience with us. And high cl- clean water had totally transformed her life completely. She made it quite clear to us what life used to be like. And she stood a little shaky, and, but very determined that her peers knew, that uh, among her peers, that, that, we, that we would know that life was totally transformed in all that that could be. She would uh, usually have spent most of her day going to get water, and then she would uh, try and look after the family's needs on top of that. So when the church suggested coming and providing water tanks, they immediately wanted to jump on this. They wanted the tanks right away because the need was just so much. But the, 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 that wasn't how the church seen it. They wanted them to do training. And so in the same way the Samaritan woman um, could see the benefit of drinking water that prevented thirst to avoid labor and having to go back again, the same was with this group at the beginning. They, they didn't realize that the living water was much more valuable and it would take time. Instead, the water and sanitation program uh, insisted that they did the training first. Most of them could not understand why they needed the training, but they did the training. And because of this, they learned the proper use of water. And they, this has saved lives in the village. They, released that, that they realized now that their needs was way beyond just having literally access to water. Margaret, one of those first women who, who was trained to build these water tanks, admitted she never thought she could do this. She never thought she had, to, was to, had to any value or any skills or had anything to contribute. But after the training, she realized she could actually build these tanks and she could train others. And she admitted to us before she did this, she never ever went anywhere, only to collect water is all she did. She always stayed in her own house, in her own village. But now she is an artisan. She can go and train other people. She can actually be uh, contributing skills that others don't have. And it was, it was so amazing to see her stand up in this, this group and tell us this. And she also told us that because she's part of the committee, she feels that she's confident enough to stand up there and share 
with the others in the committee. She has value. This is a, a water tank that uh, is at one of the houses that we got to go and see. And it's quite a good size one for a, for a household tank. Um, but like the Samaritan one, Margaret's experience with water was much more than just about water. Margaret told us that before she spent all her time fetching water, she never had time for church. But when the church helped her to understand the practical issues of water and taught her how to actually capture this water, she was more interested in the living water. Jesus was that living water. And they, they, they were telling us they thank God and, are blessed, and feel blessed by God for this living water. Because fellow Christians across the world made personal sacrifices. And this has enabled them to be helped. And God has transformed their village. Children no longer die from drinking dirty water in this village. Women and children have more time to support their families and increase their education. There now is enough water tanks for everyone in this village. And they've been able to start little enterprises and increase their income because they're not spending all their time running around for water. And the church has started to grow. And when we were there, they were having to build a bigger church in that village because they just couldn't get enough people into the church they currently have because life had totally been transformed in all its ways. Margaret and her fellow committee members are so keen for us to understand how grateful they are to God and the transformation of their lives. It has totally been such a transformational thing that they want other villages to not only have the water, but also to know about this living water. And when we were there, this is Nesfi village, you see the top of the hill, there was these little girls, and these little girls no longer have to go and get water. They actually are able to now to uh, get an education and contribute to the family in other ways. So just like the passage today, the Samaritan woman's life would never be the same after meeting Jesus at the well. Not only were Margaret's needs for clean water met, but also her spiritual, social, psychological, economical needs were also met. She's now growing in her understanding of Jesus. She's attending Bible studies and wanting the same things to happen in the other villages and to her friends. Just like the woman at the well, after learning who Jesus was, she went away telling everybody in the village so they could see for themselves. And now that's a, that's a challenge for us today. As we live out our own faith, are we like Margaret? Are we keen to share the story of where God is transforming our lives? Keen to pass on the blessing to others so they too can praise God for the wonderful thing God is doing in their lives. I know you recently showed a film called Live 58. And for many of you, you will realize there's a crisis in the world. It's, it's, it's massive. There's extreme poverty that limits the lives of over one billion people to live on less than a dollar a day. That's one in seven in our world who go to bed hungry each day, leaving people here strapped in despair, hopelessness, injustice that limits their opportunities to flourish. And water and sanitation is a big part of keeping them in that trap. I also went to Rwanda, and Rwanda is another country where this poverty exists, where water is a big issue. But there's another issue to Rwanda. 1994, they had a genocide. And so it's a little harder to draw your community together when it's not so long ago that people were killing each other, that they weren't being good neighbours to one another. And so 
One million people had died in those hundred days of madness. And so many, if you know the story of the, the, so many Tutsis were killed, but also Hutus were killed because they didn't want to get involved. Rwanda survives on uh, farming the land from um, subsidy. But there's so much corrosion and there's so much deforestation that it's really difficult. So their economy relies on tea and coffee, products that are vulnerable to fluctuation in the commodity markets and also climate change. This is a man we've seen on the road with all his water tanks, that you can imagine, trying to cycle it up that mountain that you've seen in the picture. It's not easy. And if you, if you find that heavy to lift, and I really would suggest before you go home, have a lift that and say, would you like to be carting that around? The, a man's life expectancy is 50, and for a woman it's 53.9, which means some of us today wouldn't be here if we lived in, in Rwanda. And the genocide has made things worse. Um, it has uh, devastated the infrastructure, has caused social desolation, it has uh, spread HIV, there's homelessness. But one of the statistics that really stood out for me, and this shocked me, was there's 85,000 child-headed households. And you're just trying to wrap your head around that number. And that's a big challenge for that country to sort out. But uh, Rwanda is starting to learn how to make good neighbours to each other. And so I have another story I want to share with you. This is Blandine. Now, Blandine is an incredible woman. So there's a village that their church sits up on in the foothills of, of the volcano where the, the gorillas in the mist you would find, and you've seen films of that maybe. Ten years ago, people lived in mud huts, slept in plastic sheets, and they slept alongside their animals, eating only one meal a day. While there, I met this lady called Blandine. And she shared how the women in the village used to rise at 4 a.m. to track a long journey to the river, not returning until about midday. Now, again, you can imagine the risks. They're vulnerable in the darkness. They're walking on isolated paths, risking attack. And the challenge of carrying 20 litres back up home is just, it's just really hard. And many of their children were swept away, as I said, in Uganda. But the good news is in 2001, our partner, Musakur, they reached out as a good neighbour and they began to teach them what it was like to be a good neighbour. And they brought the local churches together, all different denominations, and began to work and promote holistic development, integral mission. They worked to build healing, reconciliation, unity, where these communities were mixed between Hutu and Tutsi. And you can imagine how difficult this was straight after a genocide. It's not that long ago. But they mobilised themselves into groups and the villagers received agricultural training, hygiene training, guidance on HIV. And Blandine became their chairperson. And she, she got these women together and she started to work with them. And they started saving schemes and they learned to use skills and they gained knowledge of health and hygiene. And they organised themselves. And they earned money from others by being able to collect water and bring it up and down the hills. And they got enough money together that they built the first community tank these tanks are phenomenal to try and get up these mountains. But they get them up and they, they, they don't have a helicopter or anything. They roll them up the hills and they get them there. And then they build the clay around it for the big community ones. Hootsies and Tootsies working together, transformed by God's love. And this is a difficult task because you've, there's been so much conflict for so long between these guys. And they fear one another. But the church begins with, they are you creatures in Christ. And once they're you creatures in Christ, they're no longer Hootsie and Tootsie. 
and I've got this, this chap, John, who, was on the, who took us to his house when we were at the church. So just imagine being here and just going to one of your houses. And he lives there with his wife, Grace, and their two daughters. And they've been part of this program with Blendine and had been part of it for a number of years. And they live in a house that's, got, like I described a bit earlier, it's like made out of mud and stone and has got a corrugated iron roof. And the door doesn't quite meet the bottom of the, the, the ground, so you're kind of seeing this big gap of about this much. And they used to sleep with a leaky roof. So they'd lie on bamboo on the ground. They'd use bamboo to try and protect themselves from the leak of the roof. And nothing could change. It was a miserable condition, and there's nothing they could do about it because they were, at the beginning, they weren't trusting each other. They didn't work together. And then, when this program came along, they were able to realize, if we worked together, we could fix each other's roofs. We could fix each other's walls. We could start to work together. And John told us that life just changed completely. They worked together, and as they started to work together, they started to realize we'll take turn at working in each other's houses and trust that each person, even when they get their house done, is going to continue to be part of the program and is going to continue to work on my house. And this is the bit that struck me. He takes us around his house, and he shows us the different things that he's, he's now got because of this. And he says, I am now living in God's blessing. And i got to say, I looked around and i seen that house and i seen the gap of the door and I'm thinking, I don't know if I would be saying that if I lived here. And that's honestly, that's just honestly how I felt. I don't know if I was saying this is God's blessing. And now that I'm home and I'm in my warm house with my piped water and I'm saying to myself, am I still, am I, am I saying that I feel blessed today? Or am I complaining because something just isn't quite right or I would like something different? Am I living in God's blessing? And I suppose these Rwandan people really impressed upon me because they had the water problems that Uganda has. But they were, they were, they were really outworking this, being a good neighbor on top of that. And it, it's, it just was amazing to see the church. The church was a dispenser of hope in a community. And it was passing on the blessing of others as God intended. And these are some of the ladies working together in the fields trying to uh, you know, grow stuff. And so our passage of the Samaritan woman is so familiar, it could be easy to forget that there's tension, there was tension between Samaritans and Jews. But like our passage this morning, Jesus is the source of our salvation. And in Rwanda, in these communities where they're being transformed, there was no doubt that Christ was the center of that transformation. And they were worshiping Jesus in spirit and truth. And they were encouraging us to be part of that worship. So this morning I want to begin, or I want to finish off with this thing, asking you this. Are you hearing God speaking to you this morning? Is there something personal he wants to say to you in what I've just shared? Like Margaret, do you share uh, your stories of God transforming the, your, the spirit in, his spirit in your life? And, and do you want that transformation to be for your neighbor, for the people you meet? Do you want them to be able to rejoice and say, yeah, God's blessed me today? Or like Blandine, is God calling you to be part of some of the transformation that's going on in your daily life, both here in the church and around the world? And like John, do we proclaim we are living in God's blessing? Are we content with what God has already given, given to us? This morning, I wondered, could we pause and think, is there things going on in our world where we take a peek and then we turn away? Things that are maybe seen too big or too distant 
or perhaps things on our doorstep that require much risk to get involved. Things that perhaps God wants us to face into, just like our neighbours in Uganda and Rwanda. When we read Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well, we're left in no doubt about the source of transformation. Of all these places we visited, we've seen this. But three things stood out from the passage for me. Firstly, Jesus speaks to the woman first about water and eternal life. Through our trip, we saw the church reaching out into some of the poorest communities, assessing their needs and meeting those needs, all the while sharing the good use of Christ and teaching of the true source of living water. And secondly, they taught, Jesus taught of true worship, belief in him. And one of the greatest joys of visiting communities in the developing world is despite their extreme poverty, their extreme love for God and their belief in the transformation of power of his son. They were keen to make sacrifices themselves so that others could see the transformation and be able to worship God. And especially in Rwanda, where the starting point of reconciliation is only through realizing that in Christ they are made you. And thirdly, the Samaritan woman becomes a messenger to everyone in her village who eventually learn that Jesus is the saviour of the world. Each of the people we met along our travels were keen for us to know that God had blessed them, transformed their lives completely. Perhaps this morning you feel like you would like to get involved. Maybe there's something you would like to do, maybe even with Tear Fund. And so this morning, I want to I wanna make an ah. Uh, just get to this little slide. I have a little prayer diary at the back, and that's why my wife is here to help me this morning. We really feel that to help us deliver our vision, we need people who are listening to God. And we'd love you to take this prayer diary and work away for it over 30 days. There's reflections in it on the themes of fullness, hope, and justice. And along with that, we've got a little booklet we just got wrote by, uh, written by uh, journalist Alf McCrary from the Belfast Telegraph. And he was on the, uh, a similar trip, seeing similar projects, and he has wrote about those projects. And it, you would hear them more, you will read more depth what he, he, he was able to experience. And he sees di- diaries, and, and these books, the diaries in the books are absolutely free. We just ask you to fill in a little form you see on your, your, your uh, pew. And just say that you would, you would like that. And we'll be able to keep in touch with you then. And one of the things that we would love to keep in touch with, in January, we are launching a massive campaign with the government. And we're asking them to help us to end hunger. And we're going to have a launch event with this. And we want to invite everybody who wants to pray along with us to come to that event and be able to speak out on behalf of the poor. So please, there's enough prayer journals for everybody. And there's, I think there's enough booklets for everybody. So... Please feel you can take one of those and uh, journey along with us. And lastly, we, a lot of people have asked us what is the best way to support Tear Fund. Be- best way is through prayer. The next best way to support us is through financial giving. And we would say giving in a regular basis. It doesn't have to be a lot, but regular basis allows us then to plan for our projects and to be able to work with our partners and so if you were feeling that you wanted to support us on a regular basis, you just simply tick the little form about see for yourself. And yet when you hand it in, one of my colleagues will contact you in a couple of weeks and see how best you can support us. And it can be as little as you like. Um, there's no amount required in particular. It's just how much you feel you can support us. 
And if you're a, uh, a UK taxpayer, we'd ask you to, to gift uh, that so that we get an extra 25%. But I would just like to say thank you for this morning for listening to us, and thank you for letting me share those stories. It's sometimes hard to convey what we see. There were only a couple of stories out of two countries visiting three partners in 10 days. And so I really want to thank you for your time, and I want to just pray, if that's okay. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful for that we have water. We're thankful, Lord, that we are blessed by you today. We are thankful, Lord, that sometimes when we feel that we just things aren't working, we ask you to let us look at the blessings you've already given us and make us feel thankful for them and to use them to the best of our ability. And we pray for people today in Uganda and Rwanda who will not be able to access water so easily and so readily. But we're thankful for the ones who already now have tanks and that life is being transformed. We ask all this in your name, Lord. Amen.